Hey, y'all look this way for a minute. This is one of those messages where I, I feel like, hey, I should have gotten somebody else to preach this message. This text deals with, um, it deals with the relationship of how you guys treat your pastor. Now, that's kind of awkward coming from the stage, you know what I mean? It really is. And yet, hey, we'll dive in and, and do our best. You guys tune in with me, and, and I'll, try, I'll try, as we've talked about relationships, I mean, we talked about how to respect one another. I mean, that's, we've had two major words over the last couple of weeks. The first is respect, and the second is honor. The respect, we talked about from the older men, treat them as, and treat them as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. Respect one another, created in the image of God, by God, for God. Last week, we talked about those that are on the margins. We talked specifically about how the church uh, ministers to widows, but more than that, how valuable widows are in the ministry of the local church. And so anyway, we talked about those two major words. Really, you know, the first part of this letter, 1 Timothy, we've been on this journey, framework for the family, all summer, and, you know, just with the purpose of, hey, let's build strong structural framework for the family, not just for today, but for generations to come. The first half of that conversation dealt completely with doctrine, the importance of sound doctrine, what we believe, why we believe. All that was the beginning conversation. Now, it shifted to, okay, how does our theology affect life? How does what we believe affect how we live and respond to one, to one another? So, anyway, today we land on the last of relationships that we'll talk about. And so, I'll do my best to lead us through this idea of, hey, how do... I honor my pastor. We honor one another. We respect one another. We honor widows, those that are marginalized. Then the, the last conversation is, okay, how do, how do we deal with our pastor? How do we honor him? Whoever that might be. This is the first pastor that you guys have had as a church family. Possibly, hey, one of these days you'll have to find another one. What does it look like? How does it feel and all that stuff? You got technology, new technology on the screen this morning. We'll see how that works as well. Should be fun. Maybe it'll make it easier for you to take notes. Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. Blessings to you. Lord bless you and keep you. Isn't that a great word? Isn't that good stuff? Turn your Bibles this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Mark your place there. Come on, stand to your feet. Welcome somebody into the assembly this morning. You guys need a little shake. Y'all need a little wake up, so let's go. Welcome somebody. Turn and greet your neighbor. Hello in Jesus' name. There you go. There you go. All right, here we go. Here we go. Pastor, get control of this crowd. At 9 o'clock, hey, it's, it's really almost impossible to reel everybody in. Lots of extroverts at 9 o'clock. Honoring my pastor, there's two passages. I'm going to read the last part of 1 Timothy chapter 4. It focuses largely on the expectation of the pastor. Then I'm going to move us to chapter 5, and we'll read the last part of that as well. So anyway, that'll set the context. 1 
Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress or your growth might be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. All right, flip the script. Chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 14 concludes some thoughts of expectation for the pastor. Now, here is the reflection on how the assembly... The local congregation uh, lives with the pastor. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor, laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Lay hands on no man suddenly. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink a little water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. This will conclude, you know, a discussion of relationship and how we respond to one another. I'm, I'm going to do my best to navigate and walk us through this conversation. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Bless your people. God, encourage us together as we think about this community that is purchased by the blood of Christ, placed here, left here to propagate and advance the kingdom of God and, and his gospel. Lord, may we do it well May what happens in the assembly reflect well the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Honor, honoring my pastor. Let me begin by, by saying that normally, you know, hey, it would feel a lot easier for me to invite a guest speaker or to bring in, you know, maybe a professor to introduce this thought or theme to you. Um, but, you know, hey, you guys are going to get it from the horse's mouth, or as in the text says, the ox, right? So I'll, I'll not take offense to the text, but really just kind of walk, walk us through. Hey, listen, here is, here is the reality of this letter, this letter to Timothy, this young protege of Paul, the aged minister of the gospel. Over and over again, he's exhorting him in... You know, just being courageous, fighting the fight of faith, 
he is instructing him in how to lead, lead well, to bless the family of God. And so as it comes to this, you know, and I'm looking out at the assembly and thinking to myself, hey, what is the congregation thinking about their pastor? Let me, let me just kind of put a few things on your plate that I want you to know. So this is from, from the lens of the, of the pulpit. The first thing that I would say that I would want you to know is your pastor is human. It doesn't matter who he is, what church he serves, or anything else. Your pastor is human. He's just like you. He's created in the image of God. He's created by God and for God. And no different. You know, there are no ranks of Christianity or ranks among God's children. The reality is, hey, we're, we're human. So flaws are part of the deal. Every pastor you'll ever have or ever have had, Listen, you might look in your rear view and you might think of a pastor that really meant the world to you. Maybe he invested in your family and your relationships and all that stuff. Just really, you know, comes to mind as a giant in the faith. Well, guess what? Somewhere along the line, he disappointed somebody. He, you know, he didn't live up to someone's expectations. Why? Because he's human. So here is a, here is a word for, for us. Don't judge God by the imperfections of your pastor. In other words, don't allow what you believe about God to be influenced by an imperfect human. So maybe, you know, maybe it happens that your pastor has a bad day, or he says a crossword, or he doesn't get a decision just right. Don't make his, don't make his humanness what you think about God. In other words, don't let him be uh, the reason why you hate God or think of God as less or whatever. Everybody okay with that? All right, here is, here is the th second thing that I would like for you to remember. And that is that the pastor feels the weight of the expectations of the Word of God. I mean, chapter 3 is this list of qualifications that read, let the pastor be blameless. Let him be the husband of one wife. Let him rule his house well. Let him, you know, this list of things. Don't let him be a brawler or a striker. No, you know, not too much wine and all that. That's qualification. Then as we look at chapter 4, there is this exhortation to, to teach the Word of God, to preach with excellence, to, to be a student. You know, people ask me from time to time, Pastor, how... How long does it take to prepare a message for Sunday morning? And the truth of the matter is, some days it might take 30 minutes. Some weeks it might take eight hours. But the truth of the matter is, it takes a lifetime. I mean, it really does. It all lends itself to, to teaching and preaching the Word of God. Why is it so important? Listen, the Word of God is life-giving. It's essential for the diet of the believer. I don't know what you feel like when you come to the house of God, you lift your arms in praise, you sing to the top of your lungs, you hear the word of God expounded, you feel the weight of the truth of God. Sometimes it convicts, sometimes it heals, sometimes it just draws us closer to the Lord. It always builds faith. It's life-giving. Pastors to do it with excellence, but the pastor feels the weight of the expectation of God. Character, leadership, godliness, family, 
personal growth that's mentioned in this text. The third thing that I would say that I'd like for you to remember, your pastor never has a day off. Think about that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't get to, to mess around with my grandkids some Saturdays, right? Doesn't mean that your pastor doesn't have, you know, the luxury of going on vacation and that kind of thing. It just means that as the pastor go to home, goes to Home Depot, he's still the pastor. Doesn't matter if he's buying lumber or, or whatever. In other words, there's, there's always accessibility. There's always the weight of walking through life with your pastor. Here is the next thing that I would ask you to remember, and that is your pastor feels the weight of your expectations. So not only the expectations that God has, but also the expectations that you have. They are much the same character and leadership and godliness, family, availability and professionalism. All those things are expectations that the congregation has of, of your pastor. Hey, is your pastor living godly? Is he seeking the Lord? Is he providing spiritual oversight? Is he praying for my family? Is he investing? If I have surgery, is he there? And the list goes on and on. Here's the, here's the truth of it. Everybody's expectations look a little bit different. Some people don't want the pastor coming to their house. Some people do. It varies. And so anyway, things to remember. Your pastor, hey, he, he feels the weight of that. Here's the best way to, com to, com to communicate your expectations. If you don't want to be, want, don't be disappointed, then, then make it plain. Hey, pastor, I want you to come to my house in the morning at 8 o'clock. We're going to drink coffee. We're going to sit on the porch. We're going to talk about this. We, hey, do that. Why? Because if you have that expectation, guess who knows that expectation? Come on, somebody. You do. You, you know that expectation. Pastor, I'm going to have surgery next week. It's going to be a Wednesday at 7 o'clock in the morning, which really means it's going to be at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd love for you to be there. I'd love for you to pray with me and my family. Hey, guess what? Some people want the pastor there, and some people don't, especially with COVID. That's got really weird. It used to be custom. Now, not so much. So how do I know my expectations are understood? Hey, communicate well. There's never going to be a time where you say, hey, Pastor, I'm having surgery next Friday at 7 o'clock. Would you be there? Love for you to pray with me. There's never going to be a time where I say, well, you know, I really don't want to get up that early. You know, I really had other things planned to do. No, I mean, it's not like that. So, anyway, that's honoring. The pastor feels the weight of your expectations. What else is at least on my list that I'd love for you to know? Your pastor is prone to discouragement. As I read through the letter of 1 Timothy, here's, here's what I say to you. It's filled with this spurring on of Timothy. It's phrases like, fight the good fight of faith. Stir up the gift that's within you. I mean, it's, it's pressing this young pastor who's really 30-something. Most scholars believe he's in his late 30s. He's not a kid. But Paul is exhorting him over and over again. Why is that so important? Because pastors are prone to discouragement. Here's what I can tell you. I've been one for about 20-something years, and I've never met a pastor that didn't want to quit a lot of Mondays. Why? Because, you know, when the pastor looks out and the congregation is empty, hey, you know what my nightmare is? 
Y'all have dreams? Guess what the pastor's worst dream is? Pastor shows up to a church on Sunday morning. Ain't nobody there. I think, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. Your pastor's prone to discouragement. It doesn't matter if you're a part of the church down the street or the church at Harvest. It doesn't matter. It's he's prone to, to discouragement. So think about that. Encourage as words. Think to, things to remember. Your pastor's life is invested in ministry. Think about that for a minute. I, you know, I used Addie as, a, as an example this morning. She just went to college. She's at Jones, and, you know, she's working her way through getting schooling for new career and next steps and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, here's, here's the thing that you might not think about. I mean, yes, there is training and school and all that stuff. I mean, there's life outside of ministry, but the pastor's life is all wrapped up in ministry. Think about that, from livelihood to life's work, to the high call of ministry, all of that, it, here's, here's the snare, and that is that ministry becomes identity. That's not godly. That's idolatry. But that's the pastor's propensity because his life's work is, is invested. It's all, it's all that. In other words, all my eggs are in one basket. Here is another thought. Your pastor understands that if anything significant happens, spiritually, it happens in spite of him. Anything of spiritual consequence is accomplished by the power of God. Salvation, church growth, healing, reconciliation, deliverance, etc. All those are works of God. If God doesn't do that stuff, it's not going to happen. It's not because of the pastor. It's in spite of him. Here's the last thing. You're a vital part of the ministry. Your faithfulness is vital. Your participation is essential. Those are all things that are just prerequisite. Looking through the lens of your pastor. Hey, what is my pastor thinking? Then those are, are some of the, I don't know, those are some of the things that I wanted you to know. Now, I want to draw you back into the text. And I want to, you know, hey, I want to make some observations. I get it. You know, maybe you come this morning, you may say, listen, I'm having problems with my marriage. I'm having problems, you know, with spiritual questions and all this kind of stuff. And you're talking about your role as a pastor. And I get it. Hey, I totally understand. And so let me just say to you that part of the weight of being your pastor is I understand. I understand your needs. And I want you to understand I've got time for you outside of this one hour that's spent just preaching and teaching to you the Word of God. But here is what I also feel the weight of, and that is the responsibility to preach every part of God's Word. I mean, it's, it's necessary for you guys to know how to, to treat or to honor your pastor. So the first thing that I'm going to bring out of the text this morning, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double, war of double honor. This idea of honor this word it's come up over and over and over again and it literally literally means to prize or to value or to esteem so whether that's an older man or an older woman or a younger man or you know a widow it doesn't matter we all are to be honored because of who we are in this in this lesson it says you know those those leaders that rule well those elders that rule well now, this doesn't have the connotation of someone who rules with an iron fist or 
a rod of iron that somehow has, you know, prominence and hierarchy and all that stuff. That's not it. This idea of to rule, it means to preside over or to stand before. In other words, to, to lead. It's what he's talking about in this text. So I would say to you this morning, hey, how do I honor my pastor, whoever that might be? Well, respect the office. You know, we live in a day where institutional things are not valued necessarily. I mean, we are anti-institution. I mean, we're anti-government. We are, you know, we distrust institution largely. There was a time where the office of pastor was a revered office. And so maybe you remember calling a former pastor reverend. Anybody remember that? Nobody has ever called me that, nor do I ever, ever want anybody to call me that. Why? I don't know. It just doesn't necessarily fit what I want to be called, I guess. But here's the thing. That term was given for a reason because those men that hold, held that office, they were revered. It was a title of respect and honor. And so you may say, well, I don't necessarily like the pastor. I don't like you know, the decisions he made, I really don't like the way he preaches. He preaches too long or he preaches too short or he's not serious enough or he's, you know, whatever. The list is a thousand miles long. Well, respect the office of the pastor. It's God's design. It's God's idea. And I said that this, this, this morning at 9, and I'll say it again. You know, it's really hard for me to say this, but here's the reality. Hey, if you can't respect the office of the pastor, then there's no church that you're going to feel comfortable with. Maybe the issue is authority. Maybe the issue is, is that you just don't like that idea of spiritual leadership in any form. If you have a problem with the office, then that's a personal issue. And so maybe the issue is, hey, do I respect the individual? You have to respect the individual because he's created in the image of God, by God and for God. And here's what I know. Man, in my generation and before, there's been times where pastors have brought shame upon the office and shame upon themselves and it's caused mistrust and all that kind of I get that that's why all the qualifications that's why the job description that's why it's so important and so respect the office respect the individual if you can't respect the individual then you're probably at the wrong place that's that's weighty but that's, but that's true. How do I honor my pastor? My pastor? Man, this, this is quiet. Y'all want to just close the book and let's go home? Let's move on. How do I honor my pastor? Resources. How does that look? Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. This word honor, it, it has a monetary connotation. You may say, Pastor, I don't see that. In this context, you have, you have to see that. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox. And there again, I'm not taking this passage with offense. The ox who treads out the corn or the grain, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so, if you have a, a man that dedicates his life to serving the people and serving the church and laboring 
in word and in doctrine and teaching, then he's worthy of his hire. Now, here's, here's where that goes. I mean, there have been people that have said to me, man, the pastor shouldn't get paid. In days gone by, in this church, this church building, there was a time where there was offering plates at the front, or not plates, but little boxes. And so if you wanted to give your money to the church, you could give it to the church. If you wanted to give it to the missions, you could give it to the missions. If you wanted to give it to the pastor, you could give it to the pastor. But if he didn't preach what you wanted to preach, you didn't have to give no money to the pastor. It was that, it was that kind of deal. You put your money in the box that you want. If you didn't agree with the pastor, you wanted to starve him out, you wanted him to leave, you didn't put no money in his box. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's the history of 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 that deal i've heard people say in jest lord you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor charlie morrison is on the front row at nine o'clock every sunday and what you may not know about charlie is that charlie is a preacher's kid grew up in a preacher's home but he was so angry at god for so many years because his family lived in, in poverty. Because God's people wouldn't provide for spiritual leadership. So what are you saying, Pastor? Should the, should the pastor uh, make more than everybody else? It says double honor. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. not what it says. Does he need a new car, need a new jet, need a new whatever? Hey, greed and all that stuff is going to be addressed in the next chapter. It's not, it's not what he means. It's this idea of being cared for. He invests his life in the ministry of others. Reciprocate that. No, Listen, no greater example will ever come to my mind than Ira and Gloria Kirkman just investing they're gone now but they're still giving I mean they're still blessing the, the, the church blessing this pastor I mean come on man that is good I got a call from Mike and Pam Savelle yesterday afternoon they say hey pastor you want to come to the house we got something for you anytime anybody calls and says that I am on my way I'm on my way so I already knew. I put the ice chest in the car, and I'm out. <laughs> Get to Mike and Pam's. There's about 20 pounds of shrimp. My name on it. Come on, let me pay you. Nope. Can't pay me. What is that? It's just blessing. It's honor. So your pastor doesn't need to be rich, but he doesn't. He doesn't need to be starved. How do I honor my pastor with my resources Blessing your pastor brings blessings from above. I can't necessarily give you chapter and verse, but Eddie, I think about Elijah, the man of God that is on his way. I mean, God is preserving him. God is keeping him. God is making a way and sends him to the widow's house. And, and he says to her, if you'll give me a cake and some, some wine, then then God's going to take care of us. And she took care of his needs and blessings continued to flow through that barrel. The oil didn't dry up and run out and the bread didn't. I mean, it, 
God just did that and he does that. I saw that at the ministry of campground. I mean, the church continued to take care of Brother Tap even after he retired and took care of, of Miss Bar. I mean, he just did that. And those blessings, uh, it never stopped. How do I honor my pastor with my rhetoric? I'm a football guy. I love football season. So, Blake, yesterday I'm in front of the TV. I'm getting the pregame stuff, see, you know, what's going to happen. And, you know, they have this kid. He's a punter for the Bills. He's a rookie and highly touted and all that stuff. And then there's accusation against him. And now his career hangs in the balance. I mean, it's a major allegation. It's a serious deal. So did he do it? I don't know if he did it or not. But here's what I do know. Immediately, just because it's spoken, it's assumed as such. That's the culture that we live in. Do you know how quick it is to, dis, you know, to demoralize someone, diminish the power of ministry? It's a tweet. It's a text. It's a post. It's a phone. I mean, it's just like that. It happens with this. I mean, that can happen to, to you and your line of business or anything else. But it just, the weight of that is, is immense. It's, it's abs absolutely crazy. So when I think about rhetoric, this text says, don't receive an accusation against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses. And so what that says to me, John, if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you know, Brother Brian, I heard this, I heard this about him, I heard that about him, da 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 how many conversations have ever started like that? So how do I respond to that? Well, I shut that down. We've, learned, we've forgotten how to do that, right? I mean, we'll entertain anything. Whatever happened to just shutting that stuff down? You can't just say anything and get away. I mean, you just can't. Or you shouldn't. So don't receive an accusation. If it bothers you, John, if you hear something and it just doesn't sit right and you need to investigate, then here's what the Bible says. You come and you say, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you about this. And let's talk about that. If you're not satisfied with that, go get a brother and y'all come back and let's talk about that. And then if there is validation for those accusations then we got a problem you guys have got some decisions to make so anyway don't make accusations let your rhetoric be pure I wonder how many kids and grandkids and families are out of church because of the way pastoral leadership was talked about around the table think about that for a minute don't receive accusations against them Let's go to the next slide. Sheila, I'm depending on you at this point. How do I honor my pastor? Reprimand him openly, appropriately. If there's an issue, then the first place to come, hey, let's talk about that together. If we can't work it out, if, if there needs to go further, then let's two or three of us talk about that together. If that doesn't work, then if those accusations stick, then... It's to be made public. If your pastor falls publicly, morally, theologically, then he's to be rebuked and reprimanded in front of God and the assembly and everybody else. Why? So that others might fear. That's what the text says. 
there is, you know, hey, there is, there's honor in that. That keeps, hey, that keeps the pastor in check, keeps purity. That's, you know, there's a lot, a lot I could say about that. Is there anything else you, anything else in this text I need to talk about? How do I honor my pastor? Choose well. This text says lay hands on no man suddenly. What does that mean? The, the, the context is that of ordination. Where there is a group of elders that endorse and bless another man to be a pastor, to be a spiritual leader. In the, in the text it says lay hands on no man suddenly. And so if he's not been proven, if he is... You know, if he's a novice, if he's new in the faith, if he, you know, if he has past issues that need to be examined, don't lay your hands on him. In other words, I would say to you in this context, hey, don't bring him in as your pastor. Be careful about that. Choose well. He goes on to say that some men's sins are before them. In other words, as you begin to examine, then that comes to the forefront. It's known. It's public knowledge. And so it helps to inform. Some come after. In other words, it's going to take a little bit longer to figure that stuff out. And so weigh them, measure them, choose well. Wow, what's the big deal? It's, it's immense. I mean, listen, if you're thinking about someone who is going to speak into your life spiritually every week, then there needs to be some strength there. There needs to be some accountability. There needs to be character. There needs to, I mean, listen, he needs to know the Word of God. Be ready to not only preach and teach the Word of God, but he is to bless, to bless you. How do I honor my pastor? Be gracious. Be gracious. Why? <laughs> uh, you have to. Let's count on one hand. How many churches have I attended, been to, been a part of? How many pastors have I had? Why are they no longer my pastor? Be gracious. He's a dude. He's not perfect. Honor your pastor as he honors the Lord and honors you. Listen, I, I can't imagine doing anything else I've been something else but this is my call this is my life this is my ministry and any pastor that's called by God that invests his life it's the same it's the same thing why because God calls because he places a heart of love for for people I don't know Honor your pastor. He's part of your congregation. Love him well as he loves you well. That's enough. Come on, stand. That's over? I'm glad, I'm glad it is. I'm glad it is. I want to honor you.
as we honor the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. This has been a singing kind of day. It's been a glory kind of day. So we'll close singing together. Here's what I want to say to you, man. If, if, if we ever meet and you don't understand that God loves you like crazy, that you can be saved today. Listen, maybe you did come in with that kind of weight. Maybe you did come in with needs of your own. Then that's what this space of, of time is all about. I mean, it really is. Hey, how can you get help this morning? How can you get deliverance? How can you get healing in the house? Well, now is the time for that. I mean, God is God. There's nothing he can't do. We forget about that. Nothing he can't do. If you have a need this morning, let us let us help you. And we'll pray with you. We'll intercede on your behalf. We'll take as long as it takes. I'm not speaking just about me. I, they, there's some people in this room get around you and help you this morning. Lord, bless your people. Bless, bless them. Lord, I'm I'm just honored. That's all I say. Just honored to be part of of your family to be trusted to do ministry and I, I pray God that as as you work in my heart God that you work in the hearts of your people I pray this morning that you would absolutely speak Lord it's, it's ultimately your presence that makes all the difference you do all things well all the time and so, God, it's my prayer this morning, just, just open. God, if somebody in the house needs a healing touch, God, touch them. If somebody needs faith, God, touch them. Somebody, Lord, needs deliverance, God, touch them. So many times I've watched you from the front row do amazing things in the lives of individuals and families. Because that's what you do. I pray you do it today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen.